If you have your Bible with you, find the book of Mark. Mark, and we're going to be in chapter number one. Today we are starting a brand new message series. Uh, and this series is going to take us all the way through Easter, which is like eight different uh, sermons, if you count Good Friday in there, and we'll have a Good Friday service. But I'm excited about this particular study because it's something that we don't do that often. But I actually see a whole lot of value in this, and that is to just teach through a book of the Bible. Uh, and most often around here, we take a specific topic and we then look at what does the scripture say about that topic, and we kind of study different topics, and maybe we'll take four or five or six weeks on a similar topic, and once we've said everything there is to say about that topic, we go to a different topic. But from time to time throughout the year, we like to just say, hey, we're going to take eight weeks, and we're going to go through a book of the Bible, kind of chapter by chapter, get the, you get the idea in this, uh, and we just kind of ask the question, what is this saying to us? And in, in case you're new to all this church stuff, let me give you a third Thirty-second introduction to the Bible. The Bible is actually made up of 66 different books that are all combined. They were written by about 40 different people over a period of about 1,600 years is what we have. Most of the Bible actually takes place before the life of Jesus. The massive majority of it, we call that the Old Testament. The New Testament really is what we, what we say for the part that is Jesus and on uh, in the Bible. And it's a smaller part of the Bible. Some of the books of the Bible are like history type of books that tell the history of a certain people group or something like that, mostly the Jewish people in Israel and all of that. Some of the books of the Bible are, are actually poetry uh, which is kind of interesting. Some are more kind of like somebody's personal journal that they write, and we, have, we get to read that, and songs and different things like that. Uh, some of the books of the Bible are letters that were written from one person to another or to a group of people. And some of the books are more of a biography, and that's what we're going to look at today, telling specifically about the life of a specific person. There are four of the 66 books of the Bible that are called the Gospels. The word gospel just means good news, and the Gospels tell the story of Jesus. And so we have four different accounts of the life of Jesus. They overlap and they tell different things in different ways and it's just absolutely fantastic. They tell the story of Jesus being born, all the things he did, all the things he said, and then when he died and rose again and all of that in that. Today we are studying and beginning the study of one of the four gospels. It's called the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark. And before we get into it, uh, let me set this up a little bit. Because every book of the Bible is different, and even the four Gospels that tell the story of Jesus are a little bit different in why the author wrote them, who it was written by, and all of that type of stuff. And so the book of Mark is thought to be the very first of the four Gospels that was written. In fact, uh, most scholars believe that the other three, Matthew, Luke, and John, used the book of Mark to write a lot of their stuff. And so you could, those definitely some similarities and parts that you read, and you're like, hey, it's exactly the same. And they used some of that uh, in that. Mark was written by a Christian scribe, and his name was John Mark was his name. John Mark. You didn't know that, or maybe you did. Okay, his name was John Mark. Uh, and uh, it, 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 we don't really know if Mark knew uh, Jesus personally, we never really see that, uh, or if he ever met him, but well, here's what we do know about this man who wrote this, this book. 
uh, is that he traveled with the Apostle Paul for a pretty massive season, and he also spent a whole lot of time with Peter. And Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, in fact, you could put him at the top of the list of the disciples of Jesus, really. Uh, He's going to become like the main or one of the main leaders in the new Christian church after Jesus leaves. And so Mark spends all this time with Peter. And this account that he wrote, most scholars believe, is Mark telling Peter's story and telling Like, as Peter hashed out all these things that happened and all these things that Jesus said and the different miracles, and Mark is just from time to time just listening and like eating all this up, and then at one point he's like, I should write this stuff down, Peter, because this is fantastic, and he begins to write out the story as Peter begins to do. So Peter was an eyewitness to Jesus, walked with Jesus, spent time with him, heard him, saw him do miracles, watched as he was through the trial and the crucifixion and all of that type of stuff, uh, was a part of, he saw Jesus as, after he was resurrected, and then Mark writes out all of this, uh, it's, and it's absolutely fantastic. And as we get further into the book of Mark, it'll become apparent that Mark has a very specific purpose in what he's writing, and it's why he leaves out a whole bunch of details that some of the other authors put in, and why he writes things in the way that he writes them, because Mark just wants to proclaim to everybody that Jesus is the Son of God and He's the Messiah. That's his goal in writing all of this. And so, all right, here we go. We're going to get into it. That was the longest introduction in the entire world, wasn't it? And that's okay. Stand with me all over this place. Uh, Here we go, the gospel according to Mark. It's Peter's story told by Mark on purpose, with a purpose, and we have eight weeks to get through this, 16 chapters, and so we're going to have to be selective and go through chunks and of this and all this type of stuff, and that's okay. Uh, But let's start at the very beginning, because that's just a very good place to start. Somebody said that at some point, okay? But uh, here we go, Mark chapter 1, starting in verse number 1. Here's what he writes. All right, he says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. I've always wondered if he like took the locusts and dipped them in the honey, or if that was a separate thing. I'm not really sure. That's how I would do it for sure, though, if I was eating locusts. Would you agree? All right. That was not in the notes. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I am, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. 
He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Let's pray. God, we, we just pray that your very word would be enough. And that, God, that, that as we read this and as we talk through this today, that, that significant things would happen, that you would encourage people, that you would help people, that you would bring hope to somebody, that you would challenge us, uh, move us. Oh God, we just pray for that. Help me, Lord, uh, as, as I speak. Let this not be about me, but really let this be about you and your word. Uh, and so God, we give this to you and it's in your name we pray. Amen, amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. All right. Hey, what you notice about the book of Mark right from the very start is that he skips the Christmas story, doesn't he? Not even in there. Like, like Jesus is 30 years old in chapter number one, verse number one of the book of Mark. We don't have the shepherds and no Mary and Joseph. And Mark is laser focused on uh, what he's trying to accomplish here. Uh, and that is from word number one in this book to make the point that Jesus was the Messiah and that he was the very Son of God. We see this in chapter one over and over and over again in different ways. So Mark skips ahead. He's in the life of Jesus. Jesus is 30 years old. Uh, and remember, he's telling the, pers- the, the story from the perspective of Peter uh, and what Peter remembers. Peter's going to show up in verse number 16 of chapter one already, and then we're going to see him play out in all this. But he starts with this line, the beginning of the good news uh, about Jesus, the Messiah, and the Son of God. And that right there is the only thing that is going to come at us from, like, from Mark's perspective. After we get past that, all of a sudden things now are going to change. But again, he starts with exactly what he wants. This is the good news about Jesus. He's the Messiah, and he is the very, the very Son of God. Uh, and these are bold claims. These are heavy. These are important words. He's purposeful in this. And of course, we believe with everything that we are that the Holy Spirit was involved in the writing of the Scripture, inspired by God, uh, the very word of God. And so Mark here makes the claim that Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the Messiah that that is coming. And then immediately he begins to unpack this and he begins to strengthen his case that Jesus is the son of God and the Messiah. The very next verse, verse two, he writes, as it is written by the prophet. And now he's going to quote Isaiah. This is quoting 700 years before uh, Jesus ever came. This this man, Isaiah, wrote all this stuff about the coming Messiah that would someday come. And he quotes this right here. And he says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the paths for him. And then Mark just kind of says, that right there was John the Baptist who, is, who, was, who has now come. Uh, and, and verse number seven, and this was his message, now talking about John the Baptist. After he comes, the one more powerful than I, the straps of whom sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus shows up in the story, okay? And John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. Mark doesn't include all the details that the others the other authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the other three include other details about this event of Jesus being baptized. Uh, 
they, they tell the story of Jesus walks down and says, I need you to baptize me. And John the Baptist says, no, I can't baptize you. Mark skips all that. He's like, I don't really care about that. Let's get to the important part. When he baptized Jesus, heaven opened up is what Mark says. And he gets right into that, uh, which is so fantastic. And he's like, a voice came and said, this is my son. Again, what's he doing? He's, he's proving his point. He's all of this right here is, is sent in that direction. He doesn't care about all those little details and that type of stuff. That's his mission. Uh, Jesus came, was baptized by John, okay, and all of that. And, and so just understand that each of the gospel writers, which are the stories of the life of Jesus, have a little bit of a different agenda in the way that they approach things. And that's important because it's, it's fantastic when you begin to really open this up and study this and stuff. There, there's reasons why some give details and others don't. And we see that from the very beginning. Supernatural moment though. Jesus is baptized, the Son of God. He's the Messiah. And then Mark immediately moves on in the story. Like he, he, that's all he has. And then he says in verse 12, At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended to him. Again, we have more details about that event in the others as well. As the others are going to tell us the, the three different ways that Satan tempted him. And they go through that and how Jesus actually like uh, combated the temptation. We have that story in other places. Uh, we have the, de- the details. Mark just leaves out the details that Jesus actually fasted for 40 days. Mark's like, okay, again, it doesn't matter to his agenda right here. of what he. So he's like, boom, boom, boom in that way. Uh, that's why I love the book of Mark. It's just to the point. If you are f- trying to just start out reading the Bible for the very first time, the gospel of Mark is a great place to start. It's easy to read. It's not that long. And it's just like, bam, 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 right in front of you. And I just love that. And, and so we can... We can take the Bible and we can spend time picking about all of the sort of details and different things that happened in different ways. And I think there's a place for that. But there's also, as Mark is showing us, a time when, when just getting to the root of the big picture here is important in that uh, as well. So Mark is to the point. It's the shortest of the four Gospels and it's not even close. Okay, we're 13 verses into the story and Jesus is 30 years old and he's been baptized and has already been in the wilderness and now he's going to start doing miracles. And I just love that about, about this right here. Verse number 14, then it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Mark just skips ahead in the story. We don't even know how much time is in, but now John the Baptist, who just went from baptizing Jesus, is now in prison, uh, which is way later in the story in the other Gospels. John eventually is going to be beheaded by this uh, crazy king. Uh, that's, in, that's in other details and different things. But Jesus is now in a place called Galilee. This is in the northern part of Israel, 60, 70 miles north of Jerusalem, where Jerusalem is where he's going to be eventually crucified and all the religious leaders and all the mess that's going to happen in the life of Jesus, that's there. But he's now way up in the rural part. It's where Jesus spent most of his life, Nazareth, which is this region of Galilee, is around the Sea of Galilee, this massive lake. Uh, and, and there's all these little rural communities around there, and Jesus would spend most of his life 
and most of what we would call his ministry, which when we say his ministry, it would be his teaching, his healing people, his doing miracles. Most of that is going to be way up in the northern part. Uh, and, and so he's going to travel from little rural place to little rural place, and, and that's where the crowds are going to form. That's where all the, most of this is going to happen. And then eventually Jesus is going to make his way down uh, to Jerusalem, and there's going to be stuff on the way. And then in Jerusalem is when everything comes to a head and he's going to be killed. Okay, so you can kind of picture that. That's a three-year process that's happening all of there, right there. I just love that. And so... Uh, Verse 14, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news. And what is this good news? Mark defines it for us in verse 15. The good news is that the time has come and the kingdom of God has come near. And then the message of Jesus is very simply repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. Now, I want us to pause right there and simply make a few observations, and we're going to have three of them, from the first 15 or so verses from this book. Because reading something like this, and and this already can feel a little bit different than maybe a normal sermon that we do, because we come out typically with a topic almost, and and we're addressing this, but here we're we're just reading the scripture and kind of allowing it to be the thing that teaches us. And I love that. Uh, And so... Again, we're dealing with the Word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. The details that we have in these accounts are on purpose. They are timeless. And we should approach even the introduction to a book like this with humility and reverence, prayerfully just asking ourselves, God, what are you trying to say through this right here, right now? Okay, and so let's just make a few observations from this part of the book of Mark. And and I'm really excited about next week, by the way. Uh, And so... Get, get here, okay? Cancel your vacation. Do whatever you have to do. Get here next week. Got it? All right. And so let's just make a few observations. Number one, write this down if you're taking notes. Uh, Mark, Mark wants people to feel the wonder of what God has done through Jesus, the Messiah. And, and listen, let me unpack this a little bit. When, when we experience the excitement of a big event in our lives, naturally, we want to talk about it. Would you agree? Let me, let me give you an illustration just because today's like football Sunday or whatever else. And some of you are like, there's a football game today? There is, okay? It's tonight. It's called the Super Bowl. All right? Uh, but a number of years ago, 2017, the Vikings had a tremendous football team. And it was fantastic. And it, we all know if you're from Minnesota, it's not going to end the way we wanted. But we had a great team. And Okay, and I can remember this event in 2015. It became known as the Minneapolis Miracle. Does anybody know what I'm talking about with the Minneapolis Miracle? Okay, it was late in the playoffs, and we, were, we had a great team. We were supposed to win this game against the New Orleans Saints, and uh, we find ourselves down by a point with 25 seconds left or something like this, and it, it does not look good. And, and Vikings fans everywhere are saying, here we go again. This was supposed to be our year. And we're whining and, and social media was all, okay, and all this type of stuff. 
and, and, and all this. And then all of the sudden, in a moment, everything changed as with pretty much no time left, there was this miraculous play that happened down the sideline and Stefan Diggs, the wide receiver for the Vikings, caught this pass and the defenders kind of fell over and he ran and scored 61 yards as time expired and we won. Uh, and, and in the history of the NFL, it's like it's been rated like the ninth most incredible play in the history, okay, and all this type of stuff. It was this Minneapolis miracle, and the reason that I bring this up is that uh, as Minnesotans, we couldn't shut up about this thing. Like, it was just like, did you see? Of course I saw. Did you see? I saw. We're messaging each other and calling each other and saying, and we're just going, Minnesota, this is our year. Woo! Hi. We're doing the school chant in Walmart. And, like, I don't know what's going on. It is crazy what is happening. Like, just that when, when something exciting happens in our lives, we naturally just want to talk about it. Get, get some 21-year-old girl that gets engaged. Come on, everybody's going to know. Whether you care or not, you're going to know, all right? Because when something exciting happens in your life and there's an event, you just want to talk about it. And, and when I read the Gospel of Mark, it just like overflows with this man who is so fired up about what God has done, that he just wants everybody to know. And so he puts this down on paper, and he's writing it again and again in the language that he uses. Okay, we don't even know if he ever met Jesus. Some people say he possibly did, but he's so excited. And you can picture him as spending time with Peter and just asking questions over and over again. He's like, Peter, tell me again about that time when Jesus fed 5,000 people. With loaves and bread. And Peter's like, oh yeah, that was pretty intense. Okay, and Mark's like, yeah, let's, this is so amazing. And, and, and Peter, Jesus told, Jesus said you'd deny him, right? And Peter's like, yeah, do we have to talk about that? Yeah, we're going to, yeah. And he's writing it down and he's like, this is the story of Jesus. And, and Mark is just, he's so fascinated. He's so excited about everything that has happened. And it's the Son of God and it's the Messiah. And he begins to write this out. And he begins this thing with, like we read this earlier as the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. Mark is like, if, if, if he could have done this back in the day, he would have written this in all caps. <laughs> it's like the beginning of Jesus, the Son of God. And, uh, and, and as Americans, we're just so busy, we're so overwhelmed with so many things that we often just miss the awe and the wonder of what our God has done, of what Jesus means, of his life. And I pray that as we further unpack the story that Mark is telling, that we again and again will be filled with the wonder of this man named Jesus and the story that Mark is telling about the very Son of God and what this means to us. Mark wants us to feel that. Mark, he, like, there's, there's no question that's in this, okay? All right, second in a completely different direction, and this is just a part of unpacking something like this. Completely different direction than the first, but that's okay. We're just making observations here about what we read. Um, number two, John the Baptist came to prepare people to accept Jesus. Now, John the Baptist is a fascinating character in the Bible. Fascinating guy. And, and, at, and at one point, Jesus even makes the statement like, there's never been someone born of a woman who is as 
amazing as this man, John the Baptist. Uh, he writes, Jesus says that about John. Uh, and so John, fascinating guy. First of all, he lives out in the wilderness, dressed in animal skins, uh, ate bugs and honey, and like lived out there. Very, very weird. Uh, it's just this stark contrast between the religious leaders of the time of Jesus who are wearing these massive robes and with tassels and flowing things and they sit in special seats and, and they love the attention from the people and all this type of stuff. And so we have this contrast between the religious leaders of the time of Jesus and this messenger sent by God himself who is out living like that, eating like that, doing that stuff. It just feels, it just feels so weird. And John comes in this crazy, humble way, so different. But John the Baptist, think about this, his entire purpose, why he was doing what he was doing, why he did anything at all, was to point to what was coming next. And in every way, Every way, John is portraying and pushing the glory and all of the everything off of himself and pushing it on to what is coming. And, and, and the leaders come out and they talk to John the Baptist and John's like, no, 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 it's not me. It's not about me. It's about what is coming next. And he comes to prepare the people for Jesus. And listen to this. He was to drift off into obscurity as Jesus comes into the spotlight. Can you think about that for a moment? We've got a man who is sent by God, who is, now has people flocking to him, but his entire purpose in life is actually to drift off and be forgotten as he prepares the way for Jesus who is to come. That was his call, and eventually he's going to just be beheaded by this crooked king. His entire life, everything he is, everything he has, everything lived pointing to Jesus. It was why he was alive, and I don't know if it's possible for every moment of my life to point to Jesus. In fact, I would say it's not possible for me, but I just, I, I want to live closer to that. I want to be close. I, I don't want to live my life to be famous. I don't want to live my life to be known. I don't even want to live my life to leave a legacy when I'm gone. I, I, I sincerely am moving towards the, the, the best way to live our lives as Christians is to die in obscurity with Jesus being glorified. Wow, that's hard to say though, because we talk all sorts of things like, I just want to leave a legacy, and I want to, I want to be remembered when I'm gone. And I want to have a life that matters. And when we say that, we're, we're implying like that I want to be something significant. And I want to do something special. Biblically, though, it's probably more accurate that we die and disappear into obscurity. And Jesus is the one that is glorified. And Jesus is who's remembered. And Jesus is why we were alive and why we are there. That challenges the snot out of me. Like that, let it... it Wow. In fact, at one point, John the Baptist even says, I must be, he must become greater, I must become less. John says that. I want to live my life in that way. That challenges me. Uh, third, and this is where we'll just kind of stop for today and, and wrap this up as we unpack this right here. Uh, 
but I'm, re- I'm, I'm really excited. Next, next week, we're going to see Jesus call his first disciples and begin to do these miracles everywhere. And there's some beautiful things that as Americans, we just don't really understand about, about, the, about when Jesus called Peter and different things. We don't get some of this. And uh, I, I want to unpack some of it because some of the things that I was reading this week was just like so fantastic for me. Uh, but number three, the message of Jesus is repent and believe, not just believe. And I want to talk about this. Uh, just really quick, let me unpack this. And they're excited about that upstairs right now. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that, but they're like, yes. So, okay, uh, okay, repent and believe. And we take this from what Jesus says as he begins to proclaim the good news of God. This is verse 15. Jesus just says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. And he just says, repent and believe, repent and believe. And in our culture, in our culture, the church as a whole, not just our church, but like church as a whole has just messed this up. In America, we have created, I guess, what we could call this easy believism, which is just this idea of, of you just believe in God and now you are set. You just believe that in, in whatever and whatever and now you are safe and you're going to heaven and you can live however you want. And we're filled with, with cultural Christians who, who believe that Jesus was real, who even believe that he died on the cross, who believe all this type of stuff, but it actually has very, very little impact on the way that they actually live. And we're filled with this again and again. And like we've been talking about the past number of weeks, We've just sort of created a culture filled with shallow followers of Christ. But I'm just telling you that the picture that the Bible paints about all of this is not just this easy thing that costs a person nothing. Now, don't misunderstand me here. Absolutely, the Bible... The Bible talks about this beautiful gift of salvation, not based on our works or anything that we can do. It's the grace of God, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. Don't misunderstand me in any of this. We are not saved through anything that, like, you can't do enough good things to be, to be saved and go to heaven. You can't get, just get baptized or go to church services like that is Okay, don't miss that. You can't just do that stuff and go to heaven. Jesus paid the ultimate price. He paid it all. But listen to me very carefully. There's just no room in Scripture for a heart submitted to the things of God that isn't transformed by the things of God. There's no room for it. It's nowhere. You can't have a, you can't have a heart that says yes to Jesus and yet continues to live just like everybody else. Again and again in the Bible, we're seeing the transformation of people as they submit to the things of God. And when someone responds to the message of grace of God and the message of mercy and love that the cross brings, uh, like it brings life change. And the word of the Bible isn't just believe, it's the word repent. Repent. In fact, at one point says believe even the demons believe in Jesus. Something's got to be bigger here. There's got to be more than that. And repent is a different word. Repent is a little bit of a harsher thing. Repent includes something that we have to do. And it's a piece to the puzzle of re- receiving the grace of God. The word repent, 
I'll give you a couple different definitions. One of them is like a, a biblical definition, and, and it says this, to have a change of self. We're already using the word change. It's like the first word. Uh, heart and mind that abandons former dispositions and results in a new self, new behavior, and regret over former behavior and dispositions. So to, we're looking at new behavior, change that comes with the, this is the words of Jesus here, repent and believe, repent and believe, a new way. Webster's Dictionary just defines it this way, the word repent, to turn from sin and dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life. The amendment of your life is change. To turn from yourself is change. The idea of repent, you often will hear, when you look at the word repent, you'll hear the word to turn. Repent, to, to turn. And it's like, it, it, it's like your life is going this direction. And now, because of Jesus and the belief in Jesus and all of this, your life now goes like this. A completely different, the purpose and why you are alive has now changed in your mind and your goal is no longer me living my life to do my stuff. My goal is now about God and how can I serve him better and how can I love him more and make my life more and more like him. Oh yeah, and that means I'm starting to realize all the junk that's inside of me and I want to turn from that stuff and learn with God's help how to be free from all of that stuff. Do you hear me? Repent and believe. The message of God, the message of Jesus is repent, not just believe. And so many in our culture are going to miss this. And this is why Jesus at one point says, he's like, narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few will find it. But wide is the road that leads to destruction. And everybody and their sister are on that road. It's not exactly what he said, but you get the idea. Okay? Narrow is the road. Narrow is the road because there's only a few that will actually find that. Music team, will you please come? As we get ready to just kind of close this idea today, I think it's important that we begin to ask ourselves some very important questions, some personal questions. When it comes to me and the things of God, where am I at in this? Am I living a shallow faith, an Americanized version of this where I just believe this and this? And do some of the stuff sometimes. But when I look at my life, the reality is there's not a whole lot different in my life than the people around me. I mean, listen, if you're doing the same stuff, saying the same things, living the same way as all the people you work with and the people you spend time with who are not followers of Christ, and your life looks an awful lot like them, then I would say and ask myself, which road am I on? Because the Bible and the words of Jesus are clear. New behavior. The Apostle Paul is going to write things like a new creation. The old has, is gone and the new has come. And being renewed 
for the transformation of our mind, he says in Romans chapter 12. Is your life the same as the people around you? Because Jesus is calling us to repent, to turn, to move in his direction. Not just to believe something so that I can somehow get some ticket to go into heaven when I die. We've simplified the gospel to be that in our churches. And we've communicated that all we got to do is repeat some prayer and raise some hand, and now I'm good. When Jesus is inviting us into something so much bigger, so much greater, so much so different than that, will you stand with me all over this place? God, we look to you today and ask, Holy Spirit, that you would convict us. I pray that even in this moment, things would come to our minds, places where we are not living the way that we should, thoughts that are going through our mind that are not of you, actions, temptations that we are giving into. And I pray, God, that we would be a church family that learns to repent, that learns to sincerely turn from that stuff and begin again and again to move in your direction and watch as you help us and move in us and change us. God, I pray that my life would sincerely just drift off into obscurity as you become more and more central. God, that people would remember you, that they would hear you and see you, God. God, it is my prayer that we move forward in the way that we live our lives to be closer and closer to how you would have us do that. God, I pray that we would just allow your word to convict us to challenge us, to encourage us. I pray, God, that every person in this room, as we just open up our hearts to what you would say, I, I pray that every person would walk through these doors today with an understanding of what needs to change. God, I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that you would move us. I pray that you would bring things to light again and again in our lives where things are not up to where they should be. And God, we know that, like, that this is not just about doing all sorts of rules and keeping the law and all that. Like, like this is sincerely overflowing from a life that has responded to your grace and your mercy. And we just have this deep desire to be closer to you to live our lives better for you, to serve you wholeheartedly. God, we are not perfect. There are attitudes and actions in our lives and in our hearts all the time that are not of you. But God, I pray that you would teach us to repent again and again, to turn from that stuff, to move in your direction and to watch as you help and you change. And 
you transform different areas of our lives. And so, Lord, we are truly amazed at you, by you. And we stand in wonder of what you have done, God. God, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done, for who you are. We worship you, Lord. With no one looking around, just a time of privacy and reflection. And at, at the risk of making this too easy again and again and again, I, I want to even use a little different language today. Maybe some of you in this place are here and you know, you know you are not right with God. And when we talk about repent and believe, like that just means something different today now. And I, and my, my, my ask is this, is there anyone in this place that just needs to repent of their sin and believe in Jesus in a new way to turn from the junk and move in his direction if you're in this place and you're saying that's me today I just ask that you lift up your hands thank you thank you thank you thank you many hands many hands in this place and we just respond today not by just repeating a prayer sincerely just taking a moment to say, God, I desperately need you. I need your help. I want to turn from this stuff. I want to receive you. Change me, oh God. And we just begin to pray that. So Lord, I just pray for those who lifted their hands. I pray that that you would help us, that you would show us, that we would find people around us who can move us along in this journey, that we would prioritize certain things in certain ways, and God, that we would watch as you work and move in us, in our lives, in our families. We thank you, God, for all you have done. We worship you today. And even as we walk out these doors today, Lord, I pray that we would just be more aware of you and your very presence, Holy Spirit, than we ever have been before, that we would show people your love, that we'd tell people your story. God, that we would respond in a way even like Mark, so in awe of your wonder and your grace and what you have done that we just needed to talk about it. So God, we thank you. We are immensely grateful again and again, and it's in the wonderful, powerful name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.